Welcome to Canada's National Bible Hour. This is Brian Albrecht, your host and president of Mission Go. Today our text is found in the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verse 9, which says, Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Of course, this is talking about God the Father anointing God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Jesus Christ was God, and he became man so that he could redeem mankind. His goal was to go to the cross and bear our sins in his own body. And of course, he accomplished that on the cross. He ascended back to the Father. He's seated at the right hand of God, and now he is above all his creation. And God has given him a place where he will be the judge. He will be the one that we will have to answer to at the end of our lives. And so it's important for us to have relationship with him here on earth, to receive him as our Lord and Savior, and then to serve him to the best of our ability. And as we do that, he blesses us, he uses us, and he allows us to share the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who are unbelievers. What a great privilege we have in this day and age, and we can be such great lights to share the good news of salvation with those who are unbelievers. It's a radio edition of Global Times. Today we have in our studio Jerry and Connie Robinson, who are representatives with Global Outreach Mission in Western Canada. 
And Jerry, why don't you uh, tell us how, how you came to know Jesus Christ, your personal Savior? Well, Brian, my dad was a pastor of a church, and so we grew up in a church, and so we've always heard about it. And, you know, pastors' kids, they always are expected to be so good, and I just wasn't that type. And so no one had to tell me that I was a sinner. I remember one night above my bed, I had this little picture of the Lord Jesus bending down and picking up the lamb. And my mom went out, and um, then I started calling for my mom, and I said, Mom, I'm the lost lamb. And she came in and she led me to the Lord. But when she led me to the Lord, I had trouble praying. I said, I just can't pray. You know, she says, well, just tell God what you've told me. I said, I just can't do it. And you know, there's, I think, a little bit of struggle there. And as my mother prayed to uh, that God would just give me liberty to speak, I prayed the sinner's prayer. Tell me, how, how did the Lord lead you into missions and to doing the Lord's work? Being that my dad was a pastor, um, we always had a lot of missionaries coming to our church, and, and I would sit close to the front row, and they would tell their stories of the Congo or Chad or wherever, and uh, we'd hear those stories. And my heart was gripped at a very early age about missions, and uh, my dad had an open pulpit, which was good because he let a lot of missionaries come in. And lots of times, you know, the, the board was afraid oh, they'd get all the money, you know, and all go to the missions. And my dad said, he said, that money wasn't supposed to be to church anyhow. And, and so we had lots of them. I remember one missionary gave me my first long tie instead of a bow tie. I had one of those bow ties that you pulled out and it snapped back. And another guy, Mel Slack, came in and he had been to a baseball game and he had caught a fall ball and he gave me the fall ball that he had caught at the Chicago game. And what does that do to a young guy? Well, it turns your heart towards missions. And so when I went off to Bible school, the first year I worked on road construction and I made twelve to $1,500 during the summertime and that was a pile of money. I went to school at Berean Bible College in Calgary and uh, it was a good school, good, very missionary-minded school, and they had a heart for missions. And the good thing about Brian was they gave us a lot of practical work. So it wasn't just learning out of the book. You learned to drive the car by driving the car and not reading the manual. So we had to go give our testimonies, had to sing and preach and whatever in the street meeting, out at street meetings or in churches. or and, and so that kind of gave us our start into missions. Connie, why don't you uh, tell us how you came to know Jesus Christ, your personal Savior? Well, I was raised in a Christian home, and my dad was the actually the principal of Berean Bible College in Calgary. So from very young, I had been taught all the truths of the gospel message. But I can't tell you specifically when I actually prayed to receive Christ. I remember different times asking the Lord Jesus to forgive my sin, but I can't really tell you which time it took, so to speak. <laughs> and it wasn't until later that I had assurance of salvation. In fact, I remember one time praying when my mother was washing my hair in the kitchen sink, and I don't know if I thought she was going to drown me or what, but <laughs> but my heart was very soft towards the Lord. I remember laying in bed sometimes at night and just crying, thinking of what it meant for Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. So I'm very thankful that then one day I understood that that I could have insurance of salvation and know that if I had prayed that prayer that he said I was his child. Praise the Lord. Being around Brian Bible College all those years, I guess uh, missions sort of just flowed through through your life. Is that how the Lord sort of called you into missions? And well, I had always thought 
of maybe doing something in the line of children's ministry, my mother had taught Bible clubs in the school for years and years and years, as well as in Sunday school. So I had that background. But then in Bible school, when um, I began dating Jerry, I was impressed with Jerry's heart for the Lord and for wanting to reach people. And one of the big lessons I learned in Bible school was that it wasn't all about academics. It was about allowing God to use you and use the abilities that he'd given you and to take those and use them for him. And that's where it really counted. So as Jerry and I began working in a little chapel and then the second summer that Jerry was at Bible school, he went into children's ministry in Ontario and I'll let him tell that story because it was kind of interesting how he got there. Like I said, I had worked on road construction, made twelve, fifteen hundred dollars a month. And then we had a lady by the name of Betsy Thicker come to come out to the Bible school and speak about the lost gems of Toronto and Ontario that needed the gospel. And uh, she said, we're paying $10 a week for 10 weeks and we'll pay for your way out to Toronto. But I didn't go and talk to her until she stood up Sunday night and she said, I'm leaving right after supper. And she said, um, if you still want to talk to me, I'm still around. And the Lord says, now's your chance. And so I went and talked to her and she I had she had her suitcases in the hand, just ready to walk out the door. And she put them down and she says, and what's your name? And uh, she gave me an application, told me to pray about it. And the rest is history. And I went out there and they trained us and God began to use us. And that was the start of missions. Praise the Lord. What a good story. Thank you for uh, coming into our studio today and sharing those things with us. Thank you for listening to Canada's National Bible Hour. As you're aware, this is a listener-supported program, and we would not be able to continue on the air without the support of our listeners. And we really covet your prayers because we know God answers prayer, and we know that God sustains this ministry, not only financially, but also spiritually as we share biblical truths across the airwaves. This month, we're offering a wonderful, wonderful pamphlet in titled Christianity, Cults, and Religions. It's just a wonderful thing. It has all the cults and major religions defined, and how it's defined is who the founders were and the location, what those uh, cults and um, religions believe, who God is and who Jesus is and how to be saved, what happens after death, key writings of those uh, particular cults and religions, and then the other beliefs and practices. It's done in a really nice booklet, and it's done very well. It starts out with the truth is the Bible, and then it goes and compares uh, all these different organizations. It's a very valuable little tool. This is really a good tool, especially when you run into people that have other beliefs, and you can have it quickly defined, and you know how to defend your Christian faith. Also, in the back panel, it has questions that are answered biblically to be able to refute these false doctrines that are being taught all around the world today. To get your copy, you need to write to Canada's National Bible Hour, Box 1210, St. Catharines, Ontario, L2R 7A7, or in the United States at Box 2010, Buffalo, New York, 14231. I would highly recommend that you write in to get this booklet entitled The Cults of Religions. Thank you very much. Yeah.
Today's message is from the Reverend George Francisco and is entitled, What to Do When All Seems Lost. Printed copies are available upon request. Our talk today is from Psalm 12 and it's entitled, What to Do When All Seems Lost. Psalm 12 was written by David when he was experiencing some very dark days and he did experience dark days. His, his sin with Bathsheba cost caused a cloud of depression to surround him for perhaps a year or more before he turned in repentance to God. Then, before he became king, he spent several years trying to evade Saul's efforts to kill him. Then, when his favorite son Absalom deceived Israel into rebellion, King David was forced to flee for his life. The dramatic account of this event is worthy of note here. The book of 2 Samuel, chapter 15, it reads, But Absalom sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as ye hear the sound of the trumpet, then ye shall say, Absalom reigneth in Hebron. And there came a messenger to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are after Absalom. And David said unto all his servants, Arise and let us flee, make speed to depart, for we shall not else escape from Absalom. And the king went forth, and all the people after him. Chapter 16, And there came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei. He came forth and cursed as he came. And he cast stones at David, and at all the servants of the king, saying, Come out, come out, thou bloody man, thou man of Belial. The Lord hath returned upon thee all the blood of the house of Saul. Behold, thou art taken in thy mischief, because thou art a bloody man. Now, not only was David in danger of his life from his own son, but he was cursed and falsely accused by Shimei, who had held a grudge against him since becoming king. With these events in mind, let us read what David wrote, Psalm 12. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth, for the faithful fail from among the children of men. They speak vanity, everyone with his neighbor, flattering with flattering lips and with a double heart do they speak. The Lord shall cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaketh proud things, who have said, With our tongue we will prevail, our lips are our own, who is Lord over us? For the oppression of the poor and for the sighing of the needy will I arise, saith the Lord. I will set him in safety from him that puffeth at him. 
The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. The wicked walk on every side when the vilest men are exalted. Now, whether this psalm was written during one of the dark times we mentioned previously, we don't know. It is clear that it was a time of deep moral decline in the nation of Israel. Arrogance and pride was the rule, along with vain and deceiving speech. That meant the word of many could not be trusted. The small group of true believers was being threatened by the scorn and verbal abuse of proud, selfish, and wicked men. Perhaps we can understand David's lament best, as our day is also filled with scorn and verbal abuse directed at Christian believers. The psalm deals with words and with speech. First of all, the proud, vain, wicked men who felt that they can get whatever they want by deceitful and flattering speech. This is contrasted later by God's words, which are pure, without corruptness. They are truth and absolutely dependable. Now, let us note first in looking at the psalm that David cared about godliness, for he says, Help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth. David cared about godliness in men. I wonder if we have ever spoken to anyone about the need for godly men in our families or our neighborhoods or our businesses and nation. Godliness or godlikeness seem to be strange words to our society. Yet they are the goal of the believer's life. In 2 Peter 3 and 11, the Apostle Peter says that one day God is going to destroy the whole world. And then in verse 11 it says, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy communication and godliness? Peter is here saying, Since the world and its works are temporary and will one day pass away, Build into your life the things which are eternal, like godliness and a holy lifestyle. Paul urges believers to the same goal, saying in 1 Timothy 4 and 8, For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. Paul is saying godliness will help you have the best life here as well as preparing you for eternity. How can we grow in godliness? Well, Paul, uh, Peter says, by the word of God. In 2 Peter 1 and 2, he writes, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. This is then saying that we grow in godliness by growing in our knowledge of Jesus. And we can grow in our knowledge of Jesus through careful and diligent reading of the scriptures. This is why he calls God's word exceeding great and precious. It is only through God's word that we grow in our knowledge of Christ and consequently in godliness. Our world desperately needs godly men. The church needs them. 
And the challenge to us as men and as women is will we put aside the things, uh, other things, and become regular and avid readers of God's Word? If we will, we will grow in the knowledge of Christ, and we will become partakers of the divine nature, and thus learn to escape the corruptions that are in the world through lust. Godliness will then grow and be a part of our lives, and we'll become more like Christ. We will then have a desire to turn away from sin and evil. God's Spirit will work mightily in us, transforming us into the image of Christ. King David cared about godly men. Let us also care about this. Then King David was concerned about the alarming decline of godliness in his day. He says, The godly man ceaseth, and the faithful fail from among the children of men. The moral decay of his time alarmed David, and it was real, for not only were, was there a time when godly men were diminishing, but the faithful, that is, the whole believing community, was failing and in danger of losing strength and courage to hold true to God. This was an alarming thing indeed. Do I need to draw your attention to our day and to the alarming decline in morality that is evident all around? Most of us who are older have witnessed that in one lifetime a distressing and alarming decline in public morality has taken place. Our schools have been stripped of the Bible, the Ten Commandments, and prayer, and only to replace, be replaced, it seems, by drugs and violence. The respect and commitment of marriage has largely been set aside, and the majority of couples today, we are told, are simply living together, contrary to God's word. The Lord's Day has become a holiday, more than a holy day. The taking of our Lord's name in vain and vulgar language is becoming the norm on television. Church attendance has declined dramatically. Does this alarm us? David was aware of what was happening and was greatly alarmed and took steps to bring change. First, he called on God in prayer. Help, Lord, was his cry. These words show, first of all, his urgency. The situation was desperate and made on behalf of the whole believing community. Help, Lord. He didn't say, help me, Lord. Just help, Lord. We all need help. It was a cry from the depths of his soul. David recognized that God alone was big enough to stem the tide. And he believed that although everything seemed lost and hopeless about him, with God there was hope. With God there was power to withstand evil and to bring change. He believed in an almighty God who could intervene in human affairs. Here is the King of Israel praying, calling on God to intervene and change the moral collapse of his day. What a powerful picture this presents. I hope that we will be more than just witnesses of the moral decline all around us and pray that God might raise up a mighty army of men and women who believe in an almighty God and will call upon him for a mighty intervention that will halt the spiritual decline that we have around us and bring revival renewal, and spiritual awakening in our day. Is it possible? Well, David prayed sincerely and in confidence, and God answered him. For verse 5 says, Now will I arise, saith the Lord. I will set him in safety from him that puffeth at him. 
God had seen the sufferings of his people. He had heard the vain, flattering, deceitful words of the wicked, and he now speaks his words and begins to move in protecting and sheltering them. Not all prayers of such a rapid fulfillment, but God hears and abundantly and is abundantly able to deal with the problems of our world. James 5.16 says, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Sometimes a godly man and God make a majority. James goes on to tell of Elijah the prophet, saying in verse 17, Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth his fruit. One man and God brought a spiritual revival to Israel in a time of deep spiritual decline. He can certainly do this again. The scriptures urge us over and over to pray. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 2, I exhort first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. In verse 8 he says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul says, pray without ceasing. Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And say the words, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. These great words of what has been called the Lord's Prayer follows, which has blessed and encouraged people around the world. A great missionary statement, statesman once said words to the effect that prayer does not help us in the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. The great scientist Sir Isaac Newton once said, I can take my telescope and look millions and millions of miles into space, but I can lay it aside and get down on my knees, and in earnest prayer I can see more of heaven and draw closer to God than I can when assisted by all the telescopes and material agencies of the earth. It was J. Edgar Hoover who said, that the spectacle of a nation praying is more awe-inspiring than the explosion of an atomic bomb, for it allows man to tap the infinite resources of God. Friends, David prayed, Help, Lord, and saw God arise and move in blessing. Will you pray, Help, Lord, and invite the Savior into your life, and then pray for your family, neighbors, church, and world? I trust you will. I trust the message you just heard will be a great blessing to you throughout this week. Here at Canada's National Bible Hour, we're always concerned about those who do listen. We know that many that listen to this broadcast are born again and have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But there may be some who have never received Christ as their personal Savior. And to those folks, I'd just like to share that the Bible teaches that of all sin and come short of the glory of God. That means every person that ever lived, including myself, we've all sinned. And because of that, we need a Savior. And the Bible also says the wages of sin is death. In other words, the payment for your sin is spiritual death, which is separated from God, but also means that you're not going to go to heaven. You're going to go to the place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, according to the word of God. And so the gospel is very clear. The Lord Jesus Christ is God. He left the glories of heaven and and took on flesh. He was a God-man. Jesus bore our sins in his own body as he hung on the tree. He took our place. He took our hell. 
He died and he rose again on the third day. And the Bible says that through grace, by grace, through faith, that you're saved. So you need to exercise faith. You need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible teaches you will be saved if you're sincere. To order your copy of the Cults and Religions, please write to Canada's National Bible Hour, Box 1210, St. Catharines, Ontario, L2R7A7, or in the United States at Box 2010, Buffalo, New York, 14231. You can also visit us on the web at www.missiongo.org. And please remember us in your prayers, and I trust that God will continue to bless you throughout this next week.